This is Max Hedrum. Hello? Anybody home? Hey! Our generation may not remember the moon landing, but we remember moon boots. If you owe a few cavities to candy cigarettes, learn your adverbs from Schoolhouse Rocks, burned your shins on a hot middle slide with sharp edges, exploding pop rocks for science, and you still want your MTV, then this podcast is for you. Dancing with Myself is dedicated to the decade of excess, the 1980s. So pull up your leg warmers and let's get physical. Hello, I'm Heather, and you're listening to Dancing With Myself, a podcast devoted to the 1980s. Sandra Day O'Connor became the first woman judge on the U.S. Supreme Court when President Reagan appointed her, and she was sworn in on September 5th of 1981. The moderate conservative, who was born in El Paso, Texas, grew up on an Arizona ranch before heading to California to earn a B.A. and a law degree at Stanford University. Early in her career, O'Connor was turned down by numerous law firms because of her gender, but went on to establish a prestigious career that brought her to the Arizona Court of Appeals and then to the highest court in the land. They were the Biggie and Tupac of the late 1980s bubblegum pop. If those rappers had carried lip gloss instead of Glocks. Arch rivals Tiffany and Debbie Gibson battled it out both on the record charts and in the pages of Teen Beat for pop princess supremacy. Who eventually prevailed? Tiffany had the red hair, tough girl attitude, and jean jacket. But it was Debbie Gibson's girl next door image, confidence, and yes, I'll say it, talent that sent her over the top. The string of blockbuster hits like Lost in Your Eyes, Shake Your Love, Electric Youth, and Only in My Dreams didn't hurt either. Even if you didn't own a Debbie Gibson album, you couldn't escape her reach. High school hallways were crammed with kids who shared her fashion sense, such as it was. From bowler hats to vests, giant shoulder pads to shaker sweaters, and skirts over shorts, Debbie Gibson mania, or Gibson mania as we like to call it, rippled through the 80s pop culture. Thanks for that, Debbie. There was even an Electric Youth perfume. I remember that stuff. I had some. Because who doesn't want to smell like they just spent two hours sweating under a hot stage light? Debbie later shifted to Broadway, where she scored roles in Grease, Beauty and the Beast, and Les Miserables. She eventually started going by Deborah and appeared in Playboy in 2005 in a move towards shedding her teen idol image. But she'll always be Debbie to us, even as she heads into electric middle age. Where's the thief? Anyone who has ever worked in an office, male or female, can identify with something in 1980s 9 to 5. But the boss who passes one worker over for promotion, sexually harasses another, and unfairly threatens to fire a third is a particular nightmare for women, for whom such figures are still all too familiar. So this cheerful story of three secretaries who set out to get revenge on their manager from hell still feels remarkably like wish fulfillment. We enter the world of consolidated companies alongside Jane Fonda's Judy Burnley, prim and nervous in pastels. She's taking her first steps into professional work after a nasty divorce because her husband, the unsubtle dick, (laughs) 
played by Larry Pressman, ran off with his assistant. Judy is mentored by supervisor Violet, played by Lily Tomlin, who's frustrated by endless cases of the men she trains being promoted past her. One of those who leapfrogged past her is their boss, the awful Franklin Hart Jr., Dabney Coleman's character, who is openly sexist toward his female employees. Worse, he wages a steady war of sexual harassment against his personal secretary, Dora Lee, played by the patron saint of the South, Dolly Parton, and spreads lies around the office that she's sleeping with him so that she's ostracized by the other workers. However, after a particularly bad day reveals the truth, the three start working together. They get drunk and then stoned, and each fantasizes about the way they'd like to take Hart down. Judy imagines a mob, complete with torches, hunting Mr. Hart through the office until she takes over with a shotgun. Dora Lee imagines being a sexist cowgirl boss who harasses him right back, while Violet dreams of turning into Snow White and poisoning his coffee, a Disney princess we've never seen before. But when, the next day, Violet thinks that she accidentally poisoned Mr. Hart, and he learns about it, thanks to the tattletale Roz, played by Elizabeth Wilson, he tries to coerce Dora Lee into sex in return for his silence. She ties him up, and they hold him hostage for several weeks, planning to blackmail him in turn for his embezzlement. And they engage in a little re-education of the boss. You're a sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot, says Judy. So I have a few flaws. Who doesn't, answers Hart, indignant. Perfectly fizzy chemistry between the three female leads keeps even the sillier scenes, such as stealing the body from the hospital, ticking along. And it's good to see Judy and Dorley stand up for themselves. Tomlin's Violet, of course, always could. Fonda conceived the idea for the movie and produced it, bringing screenwriter Patricia Resnick in to craft a story that portrayed workplace sexism without being preachy about it. Fonda also recruited director Colin Higgins, who did a more comic pass on the script, and Tomlin and Parton, the latter for her first film role. Fonda wanted the story to explain that you can run an office without a boss, but you can't run an office without the secretaries. The story convincingly demonstrates the point, with the three women nimbly covering for their boss's absence and instituting any number of woman-friendly policies behind his back. They set up a crochet, allowing flexible work hours, and create a job-sharing plan for those who can't work full-time. Productivity soars, and Hart returns, discombobulated to find himself credited with the lot. Still, this is an odd movie. The extended hospital heist where the women end up with a stranger's corpse in the back of Violet's car is a weird diversion from the main story, and the whole last act feels a little confused. The women's long cooking plan to blackmail Hart for his embezzlement deflates like a bad souffle, and they're rescued from charges of kidnapping only when he's promoted to a new post in Brazil. Fonda was so anxious to avoid any appearance of hectoring the viewer with strong leftist positions on women in the workplace that some of the message is almost buried in a rush to the ending. And it's only your genuine affection for these women and the laughs along the way that keep it together. At least we learn through the credits that Violet finally gets a promotion, Judy finds a new husband, and Hart is kidnapped by a remote tribe of Amazons. And Dora Lee 
Well, she goes off to become a country music star. Someone must have heard her song about office life. The best movie theme of the 1980s is a hotly contested title, but this one has got to be in with a shot. That catchy tune and superb lyrics make it almost relatable as the story itself. Here's a fun fact for you. The typewriter sound on the song 9 to 5 is in fact Dolly Parton clicking her false nails together.